Hello, everyone, and welcome to Edging on Dunstan, a podcast where three qualified Dunstan dunces analyze a cinematic masterpiece in 10 minute chunks. Now, you know, a lot of film podcasts, they'll just watch the movie and they'll talk about it, but there's a lot of meat on the bones of this film. There's, there's a really a lot to dig into, so we decided that it'd be best we just watch it in these 10 minute chunks. We can really get in there, you know? Like, scoop out all the viscera that's within this film. There is so much valuable orangutan meat on the bones of this film. <laughs> we are here to chew on that delicious, tasty monkey meat, and we are going to swallow it and say, <laughs> thank you, daddy. I'm Drew. I'm Sam. And I'm Adam. And we're all, uh, we're, we're all big fans of this movie. I've never seen it before, but I've only watched ten minutes of it, and I'm already a big fan of this movie. <laughs> Adam and I, on the other hand, have been raised on this movie, suckling at the teat of Dunstan. <laughs> oh, yeah, we've, we've seen this movie twenty dozen times, and we can mm-hmm. honestly say that it's an absolute classic. Jason Alexander has done it again. <laughs> <laughs> Quick out of, uh, this will be edited out. I need to know what the name of the actor who is George. Uh, Jason, Jason Alexander. Jason Alexander, okay. I don't know his actual name. I only know Keep him as George in. Costanza. Keep that, Keep that in. <laughs> okay, so I guess we might as well talk about that then because <laughs> this is very jarring for me. I've watched a lot of Seinfeld in my day. Yeah, it's And whenever weird to I see, see Jason Alexander, I only see George Costanza. That's, That's, all, he, That's all he has, though. I feel so bad because, like, he's funny. He was good on Seinfeld. That's but, like, all he's, he he's been in shitty <laughs> turds the rest of his life. He was and, in The Hunchback. And Dunstan checks the worst part of The Hunchback. That's true, but the movie itself was not a He was a the guy that wanted to <laughs> go. Oh man, he did want to <laughs> go. And he, like, he... fucking <laughs> <laughs> ate bricks. What, what else? He... But then he spat them out like a machine gun. Yeah, oh, that's true. Alright. I have no idea what's happening. Oh, shit. You've never seen Hunchback? I've not, no. Edging on Hunchback. Edging on Hunchback. Edging on Hunchback. Confirmed. Season 2 confirmed. Season 2, alright. So, guys... Yeah. I'm not sure if all of you noticed, but in the 20th Century Fox logo, there are roughly three orangutans swinging in and out of the zero of the 20th Century Fox logo. Oh, yeah, the ones that are like four pixels by three pixels? Yeah, yeah. They're just so small. It's the kind of thing that, like, it, you really don't see a level of detail in a lot of films. Like, normally it just has a 20th Century Fox logo. Sometimes, like, you know the Simpsons movie, I think they have, like, Homer come out. Yeah, and, good, good, good. and he does, like, a little bit of a floss and, like, a Fortnite dance. Yeah. yeah. yeah this also, podcast, if you don't know, is recorded in 2016. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, would also, I would also like to mention that, yet again, 20th Century Fox masturbates the <laughs> logo feces all over another <laughs> shit movie. <laughs> Which takes me to another point. And that is that 20th Century Fox, as we all know, a Disney property. So, Mickey Mouse, <laughs> eat your heart out. The Disney company's got a better animal mascot on in their repertoire now. Dunstan is the new Disney princess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just wait till later on in the movie. You'll see. You'll see. Which, I don't know if so, anyone hasn't even met Dunstan yeah, I, yet. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if this is a bit of a spoiler to jump to, but we haven't even seen Dunstan yet. <laughs> <We're>, <laughs> it's, it's Chekhov's monkey. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking about the first ten minutes of Dunstan Checks In, in which there has not been a single Dunstan yet. Except for the, the little ones in the 20th Century Fox logo, yes. which, we, which we've covered. You guys, I gotta wait a week to see Dunstan. Yeah. I'm gonna be racked with anxiety. I don't know how I'm supposed to get through this week without seeing the next ten minutes of Dunstan Checks In. I'm gonna be at work every night just thinking, where is that monkey? I must need him. You know, you can just Google 
pictures of Dunstan, get a little lotion, a couple tissues, and you'll be all right for next week. Just take it one <laughs> step at a time. Yeah, the lotion for his scaly hands and yeah. the tissues oh, because yeah. you'll cry at the You'll cry at the... <laughs> Speaking of which, when is uh when when does Ronald Reagan make his appearance in this movie, right? Is, isn't this the movie that Ronald Reagan was in with the monkey? Oh, Sam, we gotta save that for the the third ten minute chunk. He's oh, got you're a right, cameo you're in this one, and he's he's in the sequel. He's in the background. You can hear his ghost screaming <laughs> as, he, as he burns in hell. <laughs> 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 this is this is actually right in the point where he started getting Alzheimer's really bad. So there's there is an actual cameo. It was unscripted. He comes down to the concierge at the front desk. He's like, "Hey, I'm missing a monkey. Have you seen a monkey?" And they're like, "Cut, cut. They're, they're That's like, a plot hole, Ron." They're like, "Ronnie, Ronnie, baby." That was 1945. This is 1996. Come on, Ronnie, baby. That's how just talk. Anyway. Speaking uh, of 1996, this, this very, very much feels like an 80s movie to me for some reason. I can't quite place yet what it is, but something about like the whole intro sequence just gave me a very much like this... I, I don't know. It didn't, it didn't have the sort of... Uh, I don't, I don't want to bad mouth this movie. It didn't have the sort of... Uh, Oh, je ne sais quoi you expect from a 90s film. You know, and like the budgets were high and, the, and Hollywood was at its peak. I've, wa- I've been wagging my finger in Sam's face for the last 10 minutes. I can because, confirm it's true. Because to me, Dunstan checks in epitomizes all that is the 90s movie. From kids wearing backwards baseball hats mm. to yeah, and, dead and wearing, parents. And wearing full sports equipment. Full sports equipment. When they're on their roller skates because they and don't want to set a bad blading. example. Yeah. Yeah, it's mm. funny you would say the dead parents thing too because I did write down in all caps, dead mom, dead mom. <laughs> <laughs> And that's funny because after we were done watching this, we all linked arms and then started chanting around the microphone, Dead Bomb, which will be available on our SoundCloud to patrons only. Oh, I'm, I'm really interested in why March 22nd is giving us so much emphasis at the beginning. There's like oh, a, a yeah. solid 15, 20 seconds dedicated to just showing that today is March 22nd. I want to try to keep a detailed timeline of this movie <laughs> so that we know. I, I want to look up in the newspapers and find, because of course this is a documentary. Right. I, I want to find like the actual uh, the historical accounts so that I can see how accurate the film is. Because you know, they always take a lot of creative liberties in filmmaking. Right, but I feel like this is the kind of film that's going to really tell it straight. Because so far it's been it's been very it's 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 given that like very journalistic sort of approach, mm. where uh, it's telling the events as they happen without really putting much of a spin on it. Yeah, and that's that's how, as a filmmaker, I can say that's how you convey information by putting it on newspapers and calendars. <laughs> exactly. And that's because that is that is the way you make the audience figure out. You're like, I don't know, March twenty second. Hey, slap it on newspaper. Everyone knows you make the audience read. That's, yeah. how, that's how you engage them in the movie. You if make you them... make them read, you make them think. And if they're thinking, they're going to buy more tickets. And if they're thinking, they're reading while watching, well, then they've just thought that they've bought more tickets. If they're thinking, they're reading, they're watching, buy more tickets, they're not going to watch Dunstan. They're going to get the <laughs> out of here. God damn it. Okay, but uh, all dunking on Dunstan aside, I really like this opening sequence unironically because it would have been so easy for them to do an establishing shot of the hotel mm. and then just into the concierge. But no, they start up with this charming little the guy's bell doesn't work and then they got the type music. It's so energetic and we watch all the inner workings of the hotel. When I was a kid, that scene was magical to me. I'm like, this is a place where they got really nice food and they have flowers. <laughs> I grew up in the in, in like rural Ohio and I was excited by flowers. <laughs> 
And see, I agree with you except on one point. I feel like the polishing is a bit excessive. There's a lot of polishing <laughs> in the intro of this movie. I feel like 50% of the intro is dedicated to close-ups of hands polishing things. Yeah. We get some polishing countertops, or polishing doorknobs. They're polishing things that don't need polish. Like, when they're polishing that metal gate, it's already clean. Like, I, they're not doing anything. No, I, th no, These people are being paid to just polish an already clean gate. Why... <laughs> This is truly the the height of '90s excess. Like the the. <laughs> I, you know, honestly, that kind of brings up a good point. That actually, you remember in Schindler's List when like Schindler? All right, just stay with me. Stay with me here. Stay oh, with me. oh, Adam, I'm gonna. Right? Okay, Schindler's, Schindler's List. List. I've, got, I've got my hand on the left side here. Okay. Schindler's Dunstan. List. Schindler's and I'm, I'm 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 cutting my arm off and, t and taking it to the other side of the state to represent <laughs> Schindler's List. Okay. <laughs> Because these movies are very <laughs> different, but and from my point of view. But please, Adam, tell see, me the see, link between Schindler's here's List. Here's what I wrote down. It's like Schindler's List because, like you said, all right. Uh, let me finish the whole thought before I get it. Because it's in black and white, except for that one point when Dunstan comes out. <laughs> <laughs> it's full color, right? No, no, goddamn it! All right. Shut up! I cannot be held in suspense anymore. How is Dunstan like Schindler's List? All right, listen. All right. Like you were saying about the workers, they're not really, really doing anything. They're just there to look busy. So in, in Schindler's List, Oscar Schindler, he got all the Jews out of the camps because he's like, I want to put them to work. And then he just let them hang around his factory. Maybe that's kind of what they're doing here. Oh my they're gosh. Like war refugees. And they're polishing all the things in the hotel. <laughs> it and all comes together. And what's worse is like every single one of like the, the maid staff and kitchen staff is like a minority. So that kind of mm. sells the theory. It's... Yep. <coughs> While Sam's coughing, I think that we've just about got time to uh, move on. But before we do, I'd like to mention how few options there are on the the menu. There's like four foods listed for every meal, and I'm pretty sure when they're making up the plates, that a good fifty percent of the food they put on the plates wasn't on the menu. Because <laughs> the menu, it looks like they just put things on that sounded fancy, like. Foie gras cereal. <laughs> Roast the duck with a side of sauce. Yes, but then what they put on the plate is like <laughs> Jimmy Dean sausages. Hey, that reminded me of the line really quick that I really want. There's the. Uh... I don't know if it's too early to start digging in the specific lines that cause me a lot of mental anguish. Never too early. <laughs> but there's a line right at the beginning where Jason Alexander says, uh, a dead duck flambe, which that that really resonated with me because I I, I can't imagine going into a can you imagine if every dish had to be titled by what the animal was exactly and you had to specify that it was there like I you I, I'm gonna go into Outback and be like yes I would like a uh, medium rare uh, dead cow steak. <laughs> <laughs> dead duck flambe is a nothing and I'm very upset that that line yeah, is in the yeah, it, it's also kind of implied that the, the duck is dead already they don't need the dead part that's just an extra word that's lazy writing it's off why you gotta do them like that we already know the duck's dead <laughs> wouldn't why, it be great they, if it wasn't don't, don't they trust the audience to know that the duck is dead <laughs> well I've been flambeed and served to a customer but I still live in misery <laughs> alright also I'd like to also add that right in the beginning in the first, like, three minutes of the movie, they have a fat lady singing, and I feel like that's foreshadowing for the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I never know. I've never put that together. Either that or it was there for Jason Alexander's career. I'm not sure. Either or. 
because this was right at the end of Seinfeld. I'm glad you mentioned that because that also, uh, there was something about that I wanted to point out. The fact that I find this scene very unrealistic because she's just walking around just kind of offhandedly singing. You know, <laughs> you know, to indicate that she's an opera singer. Yeah, as all opera singers do. They're just like, look at me, I'm fat, I'm singing. I'm a fat singing bitch. You see, the thing is, though, she's walking around this hotel singing, and no one is staring daggers at her like they're trying to kill. <laughs> like, if, if this was real life, and, and, and a, per, a real human being walked into a hotel with other real human beings in it and started just opera singing, just kind of like ejaculating random opera noise that she does, she's just walking around like, with no rhyme or reason. I'm pretty sure someone would have already killed her by now. Yeah, especially <laughs> given the fact that it's like an upscale, fancy schmancy hotel. You figure there'd be snobs like wall to wall and be like, is that bitch singing again? I think that everybody's <laughs> attention was on the other great character introduced in this scene, Lionel Spaulding and Neil. Well, I thought you were going to say the box. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's next scene, or next couple scenes, I guess. But no, anyway, no. Tell, tell us, oh, actually, we didn't, ever, we didn't even set the scene up. All right. So, the, the scene we're talking about right now, we are greeted in the very, very subtle fourth wall break. Yeah, lay on that verbal gravy, baby. Verbal gravy. Oh, I hated it. <laughs> it ushers the cameraman into the hotel and says, welcome to the Majestic. And we see this fantastic lobby and walks the, the fat opera lady. And, you know, there's uh, our Lionel Spaulding, sir, walks up to the, the concierge and was checking in. And then we, we see that there's a child in a grate and he's talking to his brother on a microphone and we know he's cool because he's wearing a helmet he's also he's cool <laughs> and they're wearing rollerblades they're even wearing... though they're just walking they could just accomplish their goals by walking around yeah but it's the 90s baby we ain't got time. it's the 90s we ain't got time for that because we gotta make time for clacks how impractical is it to wear rollerblades climbing through an, a ventilation shaft secondly that's a good point that's gotta be loud as hell like yeah. everyone, everyone that's gotta be echoing through the entire hotel that's why no, he's no. wearing the helmet <laughs> no, 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 I, I remember no, no, no. being a kid in my friend's house and like just dropping a tennis ball down like the open because uh, <laughs> there, there was like one of the vents that went down to the basement oh, and we just yeah, dropped a oh. tennis ball down there and you could hear it in every room of the house like the oh, loudest dum, noise dum, in the dum. world uh, I would everyone like to... in this entire hotel would be phoning the police <laughs> <laughs> I would like to pause it I would like to pause it yes that the roller skates are in order to make a speedier escape from Ronald Reagan's ghost who wanders the basements <laughs> that's a good point where's my monkey trying to drag their children down to hell <laughs> oh Jesus Christ um welcome to Dunstan welcome to Edging on Dunstan a political podcast <laughs> But it's really hard to separate separate this movie from its politics. I mean, this movie is it. I mean, we're, ta no, we're talking about a movie. We're talking about a film in a pre 9 11 world. A pre COVID world. Everyone's walking around, just opera singing, just, just free, no cares in the world. Back when the people greeted each still, other by Frenching passionately. The economy is booming. Everyone's eating foie gras breakfast and fan. <laughs> everyone's ordering off menu because they don't even care what the price is. They're going to order that dead duck flambe. Who do they care if it's not on the menu? <laughs> the cooks are going to go out. They're going to find a duck in Central Park, skin it. Cook it right there because this is how high the level of quality this hotel is. It is a five-star hotel, as the film <laughs> takes great pains to remind us. Oh, that is important. That is important later. That's it, a it plot comes point. In, yeah, it's a plot point. It comes I, into play. I think uh, I, I want to uh, put an idea forth to you guys. I think we should start taking account of every time that five-star hotel is said in the film. Ooh. Because are we gonna, it's going to be a, shots or I, I think it's going to be a lot. Oh, you're right. Oh, <laughs> damn. Right. It's been said at least two times already in the first ten minutes, hasn't it? Yeah, just wait until mm -hmm. they start talking about the hotel. Just wait <laughs> until they start mentioning 
that it's a five star hotel because now it's just offhanded. It's but, very, it's very, it's no. Oh, are you sure it's very offhanded? Very. It's subtle. offhanded, Sam. Trust oh, me. I'm great. There's better place, worse places to be grounded than a five star hotel run by my father, <laughs> sons, George Costanza. Sons, I am very busy managing this five star hotel. When, when does Michael Richards burst in the movie and say the N word? That's oh. what I want to know. <laughs> When, when does Michael Richards burst in the movie and start saying very insensitive things about Dunstan? <laughs> then we should cut to a reaction shot of Dunstan where he slaps his forehead with his big monkey hand. <laughs> and by the way, we call Dunstan a monkey and uh He's literally he is literally a great ape. Yes, we literally know that he is an ape, but everybody in this film, even the Dunstan expert that they bring on later in the film, refers to him as a monkey, so we're staying in spirit of the film people. <laughs> Alright, so, where'd we get from there? Alright. The, the keys. The keys that they use to unlock the doors oh, are, yeah, like, nothing. are like, are like, <laughs> they look like paper dolls. They, yeah. look like, they look like Christmas ornaments. They look like postmodern Christmas ornaments. It's just like, to, to describe what these keys look like, it's, it's about, it's a rectangle about like a kind of elongated credit card size with just this unnecessarily like filigreed pattern cut into it. That they, there, there is no indication of a magnetic strip or any any way that it would possibly work. And they just swipe it through a sort of a, a slot in the door and it just works. It, it's, it's the most nonsensical thing I've ever seen. I, I really wish it was real. It's, it's very oddly sci-fi. Is this movie set in 1996 or is it set in the future? 19,996. Oh, that explains it. Back when the damn dirty apes ruled the earth, man. This is the fucking, uh, he's the, what's the word? Dunstan. Patient, Dunstan's patient zero for Planet of the Apes. <laughs> Can I make a prediction? This, this leads Please. me to a prediction I really want to make. Yes. I feel like by the end of the film, don't tell me if I'm right, because I think I'm right. But is the last shot of this film going to zoom in on a photo from the hotel with Dunstan in the front where it says like, uh, <laughs> Crystal Ball 1926 <laughs> as the classical music plays and you realize that Dunstan was, has been dead. Dunstan's been a ghost the entire time. <laughs> the, or, I mean, the Midnight, the stars, and you. Jesus. But, uh, the beginning, uh, this first scene, it climaxes with the young boys playing a prank on some manager, I think? who we never see again in the film, but he's bullying <laughs> poor Artie, who Artie looks like he is a sneeze away from death, but he is still working because he did not invest in a 401k or an IRA. Poor fucking Artie, man. Yeah. Why would you, Drew? It's 1996. The economy is booming. <laughs> Clinton's in office. He did not have sex with that woman. We got the saxophone playing president with socks the cat. They're making they're making yeah. SNES games about this president's cat, dude. Can, can you imagine if they made an SNES game about Trump's pet? Does he even have a pet? I don't know. Dunstan. <laughs> that's gonna be the that's gonna be the tenth episode. This is the retrospective <laughs> where we just like just we we just go ahead and we take all the goodwill we've built up over the course of this podcast and just destroy it by talking about how bad the life of the monkey that starred in this movie went. Oh, oh. man, it's. <laughs> Let's not dwell on that just yet. It's 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 coming. This is going to be a hard thing for me when it starts coming in the movie because uh, I don't know. As we've probably alluded to before, I've never seen this film. I've only seen bits and pieces of it and had it described, had bits described to me by uh, Drew and Adam. So really, the most that I know about this movie is how bad it went for Dunstan afterwards. Oh boy. Yeah, he got he got (laughs) real good. Yeah, Adam. (laughs) Yes. Tell me about what they do to save poor Artie. You know, honestly. 
now that you mentioned it, they do nothing to save poor Artie. He never comes back in the film. Wait, no, he comes Artie back. Artie comes in, back in one scene. He has one the scene, end. and it's the fucking <laughs> stupidest thing. I'm not gonna he get into it. He right suffers even more <laughs> toward the end of the film, and it's not even it's not even deserved or anything. It has no payoff. It has no payoff at all. You don't even have to talk about the other film. There's there's enough in this first ten minutes. We could do the entire series about the first ten minutes of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm convinced. All right, but, but what did they do? So, okay, so the whole opening scene is comprised of these kids are trying to pr play a prank and use the hotel lobby fountains to spray the guy who was picking on poor Artie. It goes wrong. They spray the fat opera lady, and they spray good old Lionel Spaulding and Neil. Always great to start off the movie, a bit of fat shaming. Yeah, 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 yeah. Both of them are fat, and that is a sin. The joke is that she's fat. That's the that's the, that's why it's yeah. funny. It's it's funny because she's overweight. Yeah, and she's stuck on her back in the fountain. It's very funny. See, and, it's it's also funny because she's an opera singer, and stereotypically, opera singers are overweight. So there's that too. Oh, you know what? No, I, I'm actually piecing I, it together. This movie is brilliant. Her annoying, her her being incredibly frustrating by walking into sing. This is her retribution. She actually deserved it. Yes, I, I'm actually I'm coming around now. Now that okay. I think about it, but, 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 but. it's brilliant. Yeah. But, 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 but what did Lionel Spaulding do to deserve it? I'll admit he comes off as a little bit pompous from the way he says Lionel Spaulding. What's well, a five star hotel? And <laughs> but uh, Lionel Spaulding gets possibly the worst of it in this opening scene, and his sin is guest starring on a few episodes of Seinfeld. <laughs> but. Lionel Spaulding gets blasted with water. In surprise, he throws Neil like like a Hail Mary pass <laughs> to the end zone. And, and Neil gets in the fountain while the fat lady's splashing around. It's taking like a team of five people to try and help her out. So Lionel Spaulding dives in like on top of this woman trying to save Neil. And they're uh, just a pile of human limbs wriggling in this pond. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's like they've never... It's like they've never been human beings before. It's like this is the first day that they've come yes. into existence. And like, ah, this other this other being has fallen over. What do I do? How do I how do I assist it? Uh, uh, uh -oh. I'm gonna jump in, Calabunga, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and, and all Lionel Spaulding had to do was like step to the left, and he wouldn't be splashed by water. But no, he spends like ten seconds yeah. just getting splashed over and over again. That's the dumbest part. It's a small controlled burst of water. Like a piss stream. And he like swats at it like it's a fucking shit fly. Instead of stepping one step <laughs> over to the left, one step over to the right, he just takes it in the face like a good little boy. Hey guys, y'all check out the knockers on that fountain? They had carved nipples into those brass boobies. I did see that. <laughs> carved nipples, which starts our one of the major light motifs of Dunstan, and that is Dunstan is horny, man. I've heard, yeah yeah I've heard I've, I've heard I'm excited to see how that plays out. Yeah, there's uh, a, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of psychosexual analysis here. <laughs> Dunstan likes to fuck, but he doesn't know how, yes. so he expresses it in weird ways. And he liked banana, too. He liked banana. That's... Alright. So, anyway, back to the story here. The what? <laughs> after, oh! Yeah, it's monkey. After the very hilarious scene where the fat people are, are swimming in the fountain and... Or they die, as God they, intended. They drown. Yeah. <laughs> they, they slip peacefully into death. <laughs> okay, no, they get helped out. And then, as Lionel Spaulding is being dried off with his cute little dog, Neil... He's yes. given a card for a doctor named Dr. Sultanoff, a mm -hmm. pet psychiatrist. 
which is if I don't know if this is a real thing or not, but if it is, I I would probably I would personally track down everyone who's ever taken an animal to a pet psychologist, <laughs> and I would drown their fucking dogs no. right in front of them. You and I would do that. I, I'd track them down. I'd try to sell them other goods and services. Clearly, <laughs> they have no idea how to spend their money. Oh, the, why don't they give some to me? He's a charlatan in chief. He's like, I can speak to the dog. I understand them. Oh, oh, um, you take your, your animal to a pet psychiatrist? Would you also, like, pet Cymbalta? I hear that, I hear your dog's really Your dog's depressed, bro. Your dog, he, does he have a fucking flaccid penis? Here, here's some dog Viagra. Yeah, man. You, what, you got him snipped? Mm. Robo-balls for self-esteem? <laughs> Robo-balls, is that something? Robo-balls is something. Okay. Robo-balls. Robo-balls. Dr. Saltmouth. All right, so from the here on, we find out that the hotel manager... Is the father of these two children. Those rapscallions yes, those, from earlier. Yeah. The hotel manager, George Costanza. George Costanza. As we've established, I think. And as he berates them, he... <laughs> what does he do? Let, let, let's, 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 let's clear this up right now. Rightfully so. <laughs> <laughs> His kids fucking suck, dude. His kids are terrible. <laughs> These kids are two awful little monsters. Like they're, they're they're like two future terrorists in the making. Like sitting here with their walkie-talkies, which work better than any walkie-talkie has ever worked in the history of walkie-talkies. Just like plotting to torture the guests of his five-star hotel. You feel like that would knock the rating down like a half star. At least. Yeah, no, yeah. it's a five-star hotel. I guess we're in a pre-Yelp world, so. Oh, <laughs> yes. yeah. yeah. Can you imagine this movie was made in 2020? All the all the reviews that you'd be seeing <laughs> went to the hotel. Beautiful place, great food. Unfortunately, the that manager's a... the manager's shithead son <laughs> put a skateboard under my feet and I slid backwards and broke my head open on the counter. And then he said, "How'd you like that, fatty?" And he spat on me while I was bleeding from the head. The, luckily, the concierge tried to come over and help me, but unfortunately, his feet were all buttered up. So he... <laughs> Nice place, but I believe a monkey dropped a banana peel and I slip and fall. <laughs> See, what they don't tell you in this movie is that all the uh, all the employees of the hotel they uh, they went to clowns college. <laughs> <laughs> what seems to be the problem here? <laughs> They're trying to help as best they can, but they only have clowning skills. <laughs> uh, all right. So anyway, <laughs> so Jason Alexander. Gives a knife to his son and he says, "Will you kill me, please? I'm in Dunstan checks in. Will you kill me, Jason Alexander?" This is not a joke. No, <laughs> he give he give the, these children have already shown that they have no regard for human, for human life. life. And he hands them a knife and points to his back and goes, "Shove it in right there." <laughs> why don't you just Why don't you just end it? Not only does he suggest they do it, Seinfeld he commands them. He commands them. He commands to them to stick knives into his back. And then demands for more knives to stick into his back. It's in a reversal of the classic, in the reversal of the classic biblical tale, where Abraham sacrifices his son. In this case, Jason Alexander hands the knife to his children and says, "Do it, God, do it." God just demanded a sacrifice, and Jason Alexander decided it shall be him and I not would... his progeny. Progeny? But, yes, child. Isn't it prodigy? No progeny, my offspring. Oh, f I don't know. All right. Anyway, but, but, uh, before. But wait, why don't we see their? Wait, why don't we see their mom? Oh, that's right. Their mom's dead. Oh yeah, I forgot. They told us their mom's dead. Dead. Yeah, yeah I forgot. They did tell us their mom is dead. The mom. The mom's dead. Yeah. 
Yeah, we actually, have dead mom. they don't outright say. That's why this movie is so smart because they don't outright say it. They just mm-hmm. say they trust things the that remind. Actually, they never say the mom is dead. She could be locked up somewhere because they attribute some pretty nutty things to the mom. She's she's trapped in <laughs> Barbados or whatever, and they're try. Okay, the point of the movie is they want to get a vacation. The the family wants to go to Barbados, and they bring it up over dinner. Is this actually a thing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we're, we're going, going outside our ten minutes then. Oh, no, I mean, it's, no, it's, it's still it's it's about dinner when they're having the the dinner. Right, but <laughs> they're like, we're gonna go to Barbados and we're gonna make everybody else miserable. How do they miss this already? I think we're you writing, were writing something, something down. But <laughs> that's a good point. I was writing furiously this whole time. Like I said, there's a lot of meat on the bones of this movie. It, it's you, you would mm. think like analyzing it ten minutes at a time would be really hard. Actually, the real challenge is trying to like is trying to condense your notes, like pick out what things are most worthy of talking about. Because mm. as as I previously said, I could spend an entire like limited run podcast, you know, not. I could spend an entire, like, indefinite podcast series talking only about the first ten minutes of this film with no other context. And that would be enough. Just There's just so much going on in this movie. It There's just... There's no... Which I love about it. There's no fucking <laughs> direction at all. <laughs> Plot points are dropped like fucking that. Like poor they Artie. Go, poor Artie. What the hell happened to poor Artie? See, a lot of the movies you get in, you kind of see where it's going, and it's like a, a relaxing experience. This this movie's a thrill ride already. I have no idea what's going to happen next. See, Lord this, knows there's no rules in this universe. We started, <laughs> Anything goes. We started at the top of the roller coaster with hijinks going wrong, guests getting getting soaked with water. Then we go from Jason Alexander praying for death. And then we talk about, at dinner, they're talking about shooting things with spear guns. And, and then Jason Alexander says, man, that really reminds me of your mother. You psychopath talking about how you want to kill a shark with a spear gun. This movie's like astronaut training, where the G-force of just <laughs> Whoa. the momentum of this film, the G-force, I nearly pass out trying to keep up with what's happening. There were a couple of times watching this where like my vision just started kind of blurring and I was having a really hard time... Fo- I, I, did I have a stroke? Did I have a yes. stroke during this movie? You did fall over for about 30 seconds. I Foaming did. at the mouth and speaking Latin. That's true, yeah. Your face drooped a little bit, and you said, I do, man, you can't. Speaking of speaking Latin, that, that brings me to another thing I found very interesting. What Bruce, would that be, Sam? You point out some of those, there's some French lines, there's some French dialogue in here. Yes, and my French is a little rusty, the but The film I'm, does not translate this. This is, yes. this is, a, this is like a... This is a joke to the portion of the audience that understands the yes. more the more educated. This this is the movie that this that, is high <laughs> art. Yes, this this movie has a lot of faith in its audience. But uh, the older brother Kyle, Kyle, Kyle. Yep. Wait, I think no, Kyle's Brian, little, Brian. Brian. Brian's the, the elder. Yeah. Uh, Brian is as horny as Dunstan throughout the film. He is preying on women who are just like trying to check into the the hotel. And uh, he approaches these two French babes. <laughs> and Ooh, they his hot little Euro conquest. And they leave him, but not before saying a, fr- a phrase in French, which I think roughly translates to, uh, oh my god, this child, a knight. <laughs> and N-I-G-H-T. I mean, it does fit. He's got the... <laughs> The chivalry. <laughs> the lady. I would also like to mention that when Kyle and Brian are getting grounded by their father after refusing to end his suffering, that's the reason they're getting grounded, that's by the, the way. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, Jason Alexander tells them that we're gonna go to Barbados, and Adam, I'm gonna say this speech, and I want you, to, I want both of you to tell me what uh, little Kyle is saying in at the end of all of these clauses. We are gonna go to Barbados. Yes. We are going <laughs> to have go to a hotel. Yes. And we are gonna make everyone. Fucking miserable, man. Yeah! Wait, 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 Dad, that's not cool. Miserable, son! Woo! Dad, how, how, would yes! you, how would you feel if that was, that was someone doing that dumb? Yes! <laughs> yes! Are we going to get evicted because of this podcast? Yeah, <laughs> you, need to, you, need to, you need to calm down, man. I'm sorry. It's just Dunstan. Dunstan does strange things. Oh, I'd also like to point out, I believe that, that uh, Brian, the uh, the older son, yeah. mm. I believe that he is around 16 or 17. They show sense. him gambling and <laughs> <laughs> playing poker that's, that's or true. blackjack or whatever. And no one has a problem with that. They just play it off like it's a funny little, huh, dad turned off the computer while you were winning money. Huh, that's so sad. Tragic but, being a teenager in the 90s. But Jason Alexander did bring dinner in shortly before, and he did have an entire bottle of wine on there for himself. <laughs> See, <laughs> I, I feel like Brian, at some point in the future, I feel like his life can go down either one of two paths. Either he is going to become president of the United States, or a uh, feared international terrorist. I don't think there's any in between in there. He's gonna go one of two. He's gonna be like a. He's gonna be a South American dictator. That's a cunt. He's gonna be the new Dole Banana Empire. It, it's funny you say that because as the movie progresses, and I'm not gonna give you any spoilers. As the movie progresses, there are a lot of Charles Manson similarities. <laughs> <laughs> I did notice the swastika carved into his forehead. <laughs> he hides it with his bangs. Anybody else? Ha- oh, we have one final scene to talk about. Oh, the oh hey, Lord. I, I, before we get into the, the oh, best please. part, I have one more thing to say. Please. So, Kyle, the maybe eight years old kid. We lad. We lad. Re- really small child. I don't want to make fun of him because this is this is kind of a nitpicky thing. But he's in his, his bathing suit and scuba gear, staring at the fish tank. <laughs> to like practice a fucking underwater. lunatic. He wore the flippers and everything. Yeah, he's got goggles, snorkel, the whole shebang. You remind me so much of your mother. I'll be honest, Adam. I thought you were going to go down a route of body shaming a child. No. (laughs) I would do a lot of things. I would not do that. I'm no Chad here. (laughs) Oh, The virgin Kyle, the Chad Dunstan. (laughs) Before we get to the end scene, there is one more thing I want to talk about. Please. I I really enjoy the subtlety of uh, the introduction of the suitcase. Uh, when the camera just focuses on the suitcase, I, I just think to myself, I wonder I wonder what could possibly be in the suitcase. That's oh, wait, what movie am I watching? <laughs> <laughs> it couldn't be... It couldn't be... Dunstan, could it? Well, the production designer... I, I did a little bit of research before we started this podcast about trivia. The production designer has an actual trunk similar to that. Oh. The production designer, she looked at that. She's like, wow, you can fit a whole monkey in here. Wait a minute! And that production designer's name? Jane Goodall. <laughs> <laughs> that production designer's name? Ronald Reagan. <laughs> I can fit a whole monkey in here. Oh, God. So, Sam, what's the name of the line that closes out these ten minutes almost perfectly? So... What is the line? To preface this, should I go ahead and talk about the uh, the background behind why we made this podcast? No. Uh, yeah, yes, please do. I think first you need to say the line. <laughs> well, 
The suitcase is being wielded, and one of the children notices that uh, there's some noise coming from inside the suitcase. And he, uh, he asks the man at the suitcase, Well, what, what's in the box? It's in the fucking box! <laughs> the box is knocking at this child. Yeah, and uh, this man looks at, looks at this child dead in the eyes <laughs> and says, I've got a lot of sport coats in my trunk. I've been told they're very noisy. <laughs> oh, you what is it? I've been told they're rather loud. God damn it, you f***ed it up. I'm sorry I don't remember this line exactly, but... I've been told my sport coats are rather loud. Hey, when we say this line closes out the ten minutes, I was looking at the timer, I was preparing to cut off whatever line was being said. That line ends at exactly ten minutes. We, we synchronized. Three, two, one, started the movie and the ten minute timer. Exactly ten minutes that line ends. I think this was intentional, you guys. I think this was highly intentional. They knew what we would come They knew, yeah, they knew some fucking, some guys would be like, you know what, there's a quarantine right now, we can't really go out and do anything, let's stay home, make a podcast about Dunstan, analyzing 10 minute increments, a fucking masterpiece of a movie. We really need to discuss this line, because this is the, this line I feel like could be its own episode. There's so much to unpack here. First of all, much like the suitcase that needs to be unpacked <laughs> because the monkey is inside it. And there's no air holes in the trunk for him to breathe out of, That's too. Very, and we do see a lot of stickers of the suitcase mm-hmm. uh, from other countries, noting that uh, Dunstan is a very educated, well-traveled chimpanzee. <laughs> much like the nobles of the post-16th and pre-20th century in Europe. The audacity of this man not only to, to try to convince a child that a sport coat would be making the knocking noise inside the suitcase, but trusting that this child would even know what a sport coat is. <laughs> and what it means for it to be loud. You know, to be fair, the fact that this same child runs around playing and pretending he's in a fish tank, <sighs> that's I feel point. like that that's fair to assume he would believe that a sport coat would be physically making noise but like when, I, when you guys told me that line before we watched this i assumed to be like a rustling sound you know something plausible for a sport uh-uh. to do no <laughs> oh, oh you, you you see i've uh, i've starched my sport coats quite I've, I've firmly pressed and starched my sport coats they're roughly the consistency of plywood at this point <laughs> Oh, oh my I gosh. To, I have to be careful not to crack my sport coach when I unfold them. Oh, I, see, another really good, interesting fact about this part of the movie is in the original screenplay, Rupert Everett, who plays this newly introduced character, his name is. We don't get his name yet, but he's played by Rupert Everett. <laughs> the original line, actually, 100% truthfully, was um, when the kid asks him what's inside, he says, It's a gerbil. I'm saving it for later when I get to my room. <laughs> You fill in the blanks. But I think that uh, this opening line, I mean, this ending line, really begins the decline of Rupert Everett's character that I want to call the Epstein cycle. Because little boy in a hotel (laughs) comes up to this man and hears a knocking in his suitcase. And it only gets worse from there, trust me. Oh no. Oh no. Maybe we edit that out. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. This podcast police are on the way. Yippee! This This episode's sponsored by Away Travel. You need to bring your monkey to (laughs) Away has great hard side suitcases with air holes so that your monkey can survive. Oh, man. I 
I just can't wait for you to see the rest of this. Hey, how did he bring this monkey to the hotel in the suitcase without killing it? Awaken.com. Did this monkey survive in the cargo hold of an airplane? The fact that the monkey's in the suitcase implies that he's... But no, this is a large suitcase. Drew. He's a this carry-on is, monkey. This is a larger suitcase than you could feasibly carry on, unless you're like in first class and you bought a seat just for the suitcase. But I feel That's like that aroused some. Oh, I guess Both. this is a post 9/11 world. Yeah. So pre 9/11 world. You know, also true, yes. Also, something I'd written down because I was just thinking about that. And, and Drew, since you've seen the movie, I'm gonna ask you this. Please. And just give me a yes or no answer, so there's no spoilers. All right. What is? Can you give me the? Can you tell me the plot of this movie? Can I? Can you actually tell me what the actual plot of this movie is? Because there's like five or six. Every character has their own plot. I'm I'm not joking. I'm not playing this up for an audio drama. I'm having a mini existential crisis. Because I can tell you what happens in the movie, but I cannot tell you the plot of the movie, if that makes any sense. There's Ooh. an overarching... There are scenes. There, there's <laughs> like a th- big setup for a third act. There is not a single identifiable plot. Can we can we play a fun game throughout the series of this podcast where I try to guess where it's going? Oh, I've oh, never seen it before. That's, that's how we close it out. That's Okay. Sam, please. <laughs> so we're, we're left off with the suitcase that definitely contains a monkey being wheeled into the hotel. I, uh, With what I've been presented with so far, if I had to guess the direction of the rest of this movie, I would say that the monkey comes out the Dunstan comes out. He teaches the children the value of respecting their father. <laughs> Dunstan, a very, a very, uh, is a is a goofy figure. Becomes like a mother figure to the children, <laughs> and and teaches them the love and respect that Jason Alexander never could because he's too busy with his with with polishing doorknobs in the hotel. In the five star hotel. <laughs> five star hotel where every doorknob is so shiny that if you look directly at it, you'd be blinded by the light reflecting. Well, off. Jason Alexander's had a lot of experience polishing knobs. He worked under Seinfeld for many many years. <laughs> I think that uh, what's <laughs> I think that this is going to be a movie about uh, a family coming together and Jason Alexander marrying a chimpanzee. <laughs> you know, I think the movie's going to end with a beautiful wedding scene where where it, it breaks down the barriers. A very progressive movie. It breaks down the barrier between man and chimpanzee and says we're all just animals. He's an orangutan. It seems like a very I I have not I have not seen actual pictures of Dunstan for a very long time. So you didn't I, even know. No, I I know very little about this movie. Oh. I I only know what has been told to me. And I <laughs> thought he had to have known. And so that that's why this movie is such a wild experience. Uh, I really think this movie is is gonna uh, peak with some sort of a very very risque bestiality sex scene. I don't know what the rating of this movie is. To be fair. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and assume it's going to be an NC-17 film, judging by the the level of pure brutality we've seen in the beginning of the movie. You know, uh, funny enough, this movie is, I believe it's rated PG, but in one of the scenes, this isn't really a spoiler, but Jason Alexander proclaims, HOLY SHIT! Yes. (laughs) For whatever reason, I don't know how it got left in. Unless I'm remembering it wrong, and it's the PG-13. Se- and the sexual ex- conquests of Dunstan throughout the movie. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't account, you guys, for how stressful of experience this is going to be. I'm going to be spending my entire week in just questioning, what happens next? <laughs> the movie has drawn me in so much. The level of, of just... The brutality of these children is so magnificent... That I really don't know how they're gonna one up it without without killing someone. They're gonna. Mm. T- I don't see how the, this film can conclude any other way with with the, except with them taking a life. 
it's kind of a Romeo and Juliet story. Uh, Dunstan killed We're ten himself. minutes in. We're ten <laughs> minutes in, and there's already been their father begging them to For end death. it. End it! Jason Alexander screams, remove me from the suffering of this world. I work in this five-star hotel tortured by my two bastard children. <laughs> These little fuckers are evil. I, 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 I want to... I, I, what's the redemption arc? How do you redeem children... <laughs> <laughs> this unredeemably awful. Well, <laughs> Child Protective Services is gonna bust in. I'm convinced that when we start the next part of the film, with ten minutes and three seconds in, Child Protective Services is gonna bust through the front door of the hotel and arrest Jason Alexander and sentence him to death by lethal judge a knife and be like, stick it in right about stick here. Stick it in right about here. And then Judge Dunstan says, because that's the sound he makes. All right. Thank you very much for joining us, folks. This movie's gonna break me. All right, catch us next time, guys. Oh, have a this good week. Join us next time as we dive into the 10 to 20 minute mark of Dunstan Checks In, analyzing every single detail in order to bring the cinematic masterpiece the analysis it deserves. And in the meanwhile, I've been Drew. I've been Sam. I'm Adam. And thank you very much for joining us. That was Edging on Dunstan, the podcast where three buffoons analyze Dunstan checks in 10 minutes at a time. You can email us at edgingpodcast at gmail.com. If you want your email featured on the show, make sure to let us know if we can use your name. Edging on Dunstan is a podcast by Sam, featuring Adam and Drew. Editing is by Adam. Intro is Right to Ascension, written by Sam and remixed by Adam. <laughs>